0: Morning. Somebody laughed at me. I was joking. That happens every day. It's great to see all of you. So nice to see uh, Brother Henry, who's uh, been doing ministry in Taiwan, and we want to welcome him back. He's been with us for a long time. Um, If you're visiting, welcome to you. Uh, I hope it's been encouraging to pause and reflect with us during this Advent season. Um, We were just talking about this at our youth group on Friday. One of the things that keeps us going as humans is the ability to hope. Uh, My professor used to say, I'm not optimistic, but I'm a prisoner of hope. And as God gives us glimpses of hope today, I pray that we can gain strength as we wrap up this year together. Well, we're continuing our Empowered series, thinking about what it means to receive from and follow Jesus as his disciples. And I want to show you on the screen what we've uh, covered so far. Uh, So the pattern in Matthew 8 through 10, as we've been saying, is this alternating sequence of Jesus healing and then teaching us how to follow. Last week, he showed us his faithfulness in three of his miracles, and today he gives us our mission as disciples. Well, let me read our text for us, and then we'll get into it. Matthew nine thirty-five to 38. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Dear God, you are reaching out to us and the people around us. Help us to do the same for your glory. Amen. Some of you know about the Korean street evangelists who hand out gospel tracts or pamphlets at H-Mart. A few years ago, Amy and I went to do some grocery shopping at the H-Mart on Union Street. And there were these women at the door blocking our way and trying to invite us to their church. And I should have followed Amy and just tried to walk past them. But for some reason, I made conversation and I told them I serve as a pastor at a church and they let us go. Well, uh, later on as we were leaving, we saw the same women engaged in a heated argument with some strangers. I guess they were debating about church or religion or something. And that was awkward, so we moved past, but one of the women made eye contact with me and she pointed at me and yelled across the parking lot, ask him, he's a pastor and we ran away to the car as fast as we possibly could. When we think about mission, we often think of evangelism or telling somebody about our faith, right? And that's true, that's a central part of our calling to point people to the truth. But what if Jesus' idea of mission is even bigger than we think? Here's the main idea I took away from our passage. The mission of discipleship is to speak and do the gospel with compassion for people. The mission of discipleship is to speak and do the gospel with compassion for people. Uh, Three points to bring that out. Number one, speaking the gospel. Number two, doing the gospel. And number three, praying for laborers. First, speaking the gospel. So our text today is a kind of summary of Jesus' ministry that Matthew gives us. It says he went throughout the cities and villages, interacting with various people. And one of the things it says he did was to teach and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Right, he used words and conversations to draw people to himself. Now, I want to focus on that phrase, the gospel of the kingdom, because it clarifies what Jesus means by the gospel. Uh, A lot of times, if you've been at church for a while, you'll hear people describe the gospel like this. You're a sinner, but Jesus died and rose again for your sins, and if you trust him, you can go to heaven. That's often what we hear, but that's actually not the gospel. Uh, The gospel is the good news of who Christ is, what he's done, what he's doing for his glory part of that is to save you from your sins through the cross and resurrection but the gospel goes beyond our individual salvation the good news of the gospel is that god is renewing all of creation through christ and he's going to bring a new heavens and a new earth for his glory Uh, that's why it's called the gospel of the kingdom because Yes, he's confronting people about their sin and repentance, but he's also healing, comforting, challenging systems, and serving the least of these because his heart is for holistic renewal. And so for us, family of God, part of speaking the gospel is not just talk about people going to heaven, which is so important, but also to recognize the physical cultural, and political brokenness our friends are living in right now, and to show our friends that Jesus' gospel can speak to those things, too. It's recognizing that Christ can meet them where they are. Esther, our children's ministry director, sent me a podcast episode called Why Youth Leave the Church. And one quote that stuck with me was from a young person. He said to the interviewer, I'm tired of the church giving me answers to questions I'm not really asking. Oftentimes when we're not aware of the whole picture of somebody's life and we just present the gospel narrowly as you should believe in God and come to church, we can miss where our neighbors are. For example, so many of our friends have been changed by the pandemic. We're in an age of anxiety and isolation because of social media. And we have this increased sense of injustice because previous generations or systems have been so hurtful to us. These are some of the realities that are shaping people's questions today, right? In other words, our friends are not asking, is God real? or is church good for my life? No, instead they're asking, is God safe? Is the church just? Or will I be gaslit in here too? Will I be marginalized in here like I am out there? Don't we as Christians wonder that too sometimes? When Jesus looks at the crowd in verse 36, he doesn't say he wanted to convert them. Uh, No, it says he had compassion on the harassed and helpless. He noticed that they were under a lot of pressure from society, and he wanted to be with them in that. How can we, as a church, imitate Jesus and listen to people in our generation? How can we affirm for them that a lot of what they're feeling is valid and that Jesus sees and hears and stands for them? How can we invite people into a space like that? And, and that's our mission, to make sure that sheep find shelter under a good shepherd against a brutal society. Uh, but a lot of times, our sense of control prevents us from being open-minded for our friends. Uh, so often, church has packaged evangelism as a very particular thing, bringing people to church, getting them to heaven, and moving on. Well, what if our friends in New York City are seeking different kinds of answers in their day-to-day family of God the gospel is able to handle the world's burdens but are you willing to pay attention and allow Christ's power to stretch you in your conversations prayers and humility with those around you here's what one pastor says the streets will never hear the church unless the church is willing to hear the streets. That's speaking the gospel of the kingdom. Second, doing the gospel. Well, Jesus not only teaches and proclaims, he also acts in the community, healing diseases and afflictions. And he's showing us both a ministry of word and deed. Uh, There's a famous quote which says, Share the gospel. Use words if necessary. Uh, And people have rejected that because, of course, we need words. Our first point was to speak the gospel. But the message of that quote is encouraging our actions to demonstrate what we stand for. Uh, And so another part of our mission is not only to listen and speak with our neighbors, but also to support them tangibly where they need. And Jesus shows a, a practical guideline for how to do this. Look at the two words again in verse 36, harassed and helpless. Uh, That's often what it means to live in a busy world, right? Harassed by the powers and structures that be and helpless against all the demands that are asked of us. How do we respond to those two realities? Well, to the harassed, we become hosts, and to the helpless, we become helpers. First, we become hosts, The the neighborhood in North Jersey where I grew up was pretty densely packed, and there were a lot of Italian families living there. And whenever we walked home from school, we would see all the Italian grandmas and moms sitting on their front steps or porches watching over the kids. And sometimes it would be scary because kids like my friend Joey Venturino, if they got in trouble, the grandmas wouldn't even wait to bring them into the house the yelling and the spanking just happened right there on the front steps and we had to awkwardly witness that Um, of course most of the time they were nice and everybody was neighborly before he passed away pastor tim keller wrote about this idea of porches and he described the porch or the stoop in new york city as an in-between space where a neighbor or stranger could interact with the people living there and peek into or get a taste of what their home was like, but not go all the way in. And he was making the point that modern people, especially in the city, are hesitant to enter the doors of a church. But what would it look like for the church to have porch-like spaces where people could get a peek into or get a taste of what the gospel is about but not go all the way in. Uh, Keller says the porch would be a place where people are able to see the gospel modeled, question the gospel, and hear about it from a skeptical distance. Uh, So as an example, a church porch could be something like opening up our homes, or having gatherings at more accessible places like a park or a bar, or holding community events for dialogue whatever it is, the porch is the church hosting these in-between spaces for people who are not yet ready to officially attend. And Jesus calls us to build that kind of hospitality out of love, not to manipulate, but to try to be a shelter for people who have been feeling harassed, tired, or lonely, and need a place to lean on. That's one way of doing the gospel. We might not have a chance to preach it all the time, but we can Demonstrate it through hosting, whatever form that takes, hospitality. The second way we can do the gospel is to be helpers, meeting the financial, physical, and social needs of the neighborhood. In James 1, it says, True religion is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Uh, James is saying that a central part of our discipleship is to love people in their suffering, especially in a society like ours. In other words, Imagine what Jesus would be doing here in Flushing, and would we be with him? Uh, There's a story about David Hume, 18th century philosopher. He went to watch a famous preacher give a sermon, and it was a very passionate message. And somebody standing next to Hume said to him, Man, I thought you were an atheist. Uh, Do you believe anything that guy is saying? And Hume responded, I don't but I know he does. What a witness would it be, family of God, for Flushing, Bayside, Long Island, Forest Hills, to say about you and me, I don't believe their religion, but I know they do because they know how to help and they've helped me. What a witness would it be for our neighborhood to recognize us as the first people to give our resources when somebody's hurting? And that takes sacrifice. It's a form of dying, maybe even re educating our children or reconsidering our budgets and time. But that's another way we do the gospel and make our faith understandable to our friends to be people's tangible help. Oscar Romero, who was the Archbishop of San Salvador, was famous for standing with the poor and fighting against the military government in El Salvador. He was eventually assassinated in 1980, and he said this in a sermon about giving ourselves in the service of others. Many do not understand, and they think Christianity should not get involved in such things. But to the contrary, you have just heard Christ's gospel, that one must not love oneself so much as to avoid getting involved in the risks that those who would avoid the danger will lose their life, while those who give themselves to the service of others in Christ will live. Like the grain of wheat that dies, but only apparently. The harvest comes about because it dies. Only by destroying itself does it produce the harvest. And so doing the gospel in these ways is another way we love people into the church. Well, what did we say is our mission so far? We speak the gospel by listening and responding well, and we do the gospel by being loving hosts and helpers. Well, here's the last point. Praying for laborers. Jesus says to his disciples in verse 37, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The harvest here is referring to people who are ready and willing to receive God in their soul, like crop that's ripe for gathering. And Jesus wants to use his followers to go to them, but there aren't enough laborers to do that. Now, what does Jesus encourage us to do in this moment? Does he say, therefore, go and start more initiatives? No, he says, first, pray to the Lord of the harvest. And that's empowering because as we work to become more missional as King's Cross, prayer does two things. First, it humbles us because we're remembering that it's the Lord who saves, not us. There's this temptation to become solution-oriented, right? What programs and activities should we do? And these are beautiful things. But Jesus says, submit to his voice, and he will show us where we need to be and what we need to do. So prayer humbles us. And second prayer emboldens us because when we do put ourselves out there, we can trust that the Lord will work despite our shortcomings and mistakes. So we pray. And what does he tell us to pray for? He he says to pray for laborers, disciples to go out into the harvest. Now, something I want us to see here, church, is that this prayer is not about asking God to recruit more bodies for evangelism work. No, this is Jesus' prayer that you and I would see what he sees and feel what he feels when he looks out into the crowd. Look at this passage. He's aching to bring children home to his father, but his followers are not seeing what he's seeing. They're not sharing in that. And so he says, let's pray for that. In other words, he wants to make us laborers with him for the harvest through our prayer. I read a story of a pastor who went on a vacation to a quiet lakeside home with his friend. Uh, He wanted to get away from work and unplug, but when he got there, he sat down next to the lake uh, and there was an outdoor party going on. Young people were drinking and smoking weed, blasting extremely loud music and taking up space. And this pastor was so annoyed because his quiet vacation was getting ruined, and he decided to get up and yell at the kids to stop disturbing the peace. But right as he was about to stand, uh, his friend said quietly, looking towards the party, Teenagers, what a mission field. And the pastor said, Oops. Family of God, when Jesus thought about you before the foundation of the world, he had a mission towards you. And and that mission, it says in 1 Peter 2, was to make you a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And he kept that promise on the cross, and even now he's keeping it one step at a time with you. So he asks us to pray for more and more of us to respond to that and become laborers to bring precious daughters and sons to glory. One of my favorite verses in scripture is 1st Peter three fifteen. it says always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you the reason for the hope that's in you and do it with gentleness and respect. Always being prepared to give the reason for our hope. King's Cross what is our mission? As disciples uh, to speak and do the gospel with compassion for people who are seeking and suffering and we can think of new ideas next year with the session and diaconate and all that and I hope we will but it starts with prayer and it starts in each of our hearts in Isaiah 6 God asks a question he says out into the world who will go for us. And my prayer is that as we consider today's word, we'll get to a place one day where we can say with Isaiah, here we are Lord, send us.